If you turn your attention now to the Word and to chapter 3, we're going to pick up verses 5 through 7, so just three verses this morning. And again, as I reminded you last time, as Paul always does when he transitions from doctrine and goes to duty, uh, he begins to give us practical application on how to live out these lives. So we've learned that we want to live a heavenly life while we're here on this earth, and so now it naturally follows that he's going to give us some instruction on how to do that. Some areas that we can look at our own lives. And the first thing that we see, and it's a two-part message, there's really two specific lists of sins here. They're by no means completely comprehensive of all things that we might be able to be engaged in uh, that wouldn't be pleasing to God. But they are the two most important groups. And so he uses two groupings, the first one sexual and the second one social. We're going to cover those sexual sins this morning. So as you might imagine... This morning's message will be PG-13, so if you have children in here, I want to highly suggest that you allow them to go off to junior high, high school, and or children's ministry. Uh, Otherwise, we're going to be talking about uh, sensitive subject matter, and it will not be graphic, but it will be very easily discernible as to what we are talking about, because Scripture talks about it. And as the body of Christ, and as we study God's Word, we need to have God's opinion on all things. And so God here instructs us on how to take out the trash in our lives. Now, most of you probably have, you know, we have mandatory trash collection, all those things here in L.A., and you, you have those, you know, wonderful multicolored trash cans. I have 17 of them, I think, in the backyard. Or you know, There's one for recyclables and green, and we have all those things going on. It's great. We get to do that. But, you know, every once in a while when you don't take your trash can out on, in our case, on Thursday and it stays there a week, it begins to stink a little bit. Amen? Imagine how your sin smells to God when you bathe yourself in it when you keep it, when he sets you free from the bondage of sin and its consequence, death. You see, we as the body of Christ are not supposed to keep the things that we've been set free from. We are no longer to engage in those things. And so powerful is that message that Paul, as he writes to the church at Rome, actually poses a question, and he says, what then? Should we go on sinning? that grace might abound? He answers that question and says, heaven forbid. We as the church are supposed to look like, act like, talk like Jesus, not the world. And so for us this morning, and maybe I'm going to do some of you a favor and I'm going to say some things that you may not want to say to perhaps someone in your life That's why we make those CDs available in the studies online. You can mail it off to somebody and let me take the heavy. But God's Word is clear, excruciatingly clear on how we are to conduct ourselves in the area of human sexuality. And so this morning, put out the trash, getting rid of the old grungy garments that we used to wear when we did not know the Lord and the first group, these sexual sins. So would you pray with me? Father, we again come to you, the author of all truth, the one who loves us, the one who sent Jesus into this world. You, Jesus, came that we would be set free, no longer in bondage to our earthly, our fleshly natures. We can have victory 
over sin. And so, Lord, would you release us, many today in this room, no doubt struggling in this area of life. And so we pray that your word would speak forth into our lives the truth of how you wish for us to conduct ourselves in this area. And so bless us with your presence by your spirit. Instruct us through your word, which you authored. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 5, therefore, you want to have a heavenly life now, right? We want to live like we're supposed to live. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he begins by saying you're going to have to take not passive, but an active role in getting rid of the junk in your life. Hence, take out the trash. Get active. Be persistent. Take your own life and say, what, Lord, do I need to do to be freed from things that can potentially put me back into bondage to sin? Because there are Christians that are in bondage to sin. And they're a very miserable lot. Scripture says about Christians who do not flee sin that in some cases it'd be better that they have never been born than to persist in sin. And so he says, names them, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so he lists five very specific sexual sins, and he follows it up with covetousness, which is desiring things, which then become idolatry. That idolatry is loving anything more than you love God. This is a powerful half of a sentence. And every single one of these things is used in the context of the first thing, which is fornication. And so they are all linked, and we'll break them down, directly to human sexuality with regard to believers. People who profess to be Christians. And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So he makes a distinction. He says it is these things, read Romans chapter 1, which we covered recently in our study in Romans on Thursday night. Because of these things, men trading the truth of God for a lie and believing what society says about many different subjects, but very specifically this subject. Because our society is dying from the inside out because of perversion in this area. Sexual sin is destroying America because it is destroying families. And those children then go on to even have a less valuable view of human sexuality than did their forebearers, their parents. And so it is a downward slide. If you do not believe that without watching the programs, you need only thumb through the titles of much of what's on television right now, and ask yourself the simple question, do these things bring me closer to Jesus in the area of human sexuality, or are they exactly like what I'm not supposed to be? And yes, today's going to be a tough message, and yes, I'm going to upset some people in the room this morning. It needs to be said. And it needs to be said forcefully, with the force of what Scripture says about it. 
Because our opinion as believers is what God has said. That's what we're supposed to believe. And so he says, because of these things, God's wrath is actually coming on disobedient people. In which, notice this, past tense, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Read that very carefully. In other words, these sins are supposed to be part of the past life of someone who names the name of Christ. They are not supposed to be part of the present life of someone who names the name of Christ. Every once in a while, someone will come to me and say, well, that's just not the world we live in. And I will say to them, I think God's word is timeless. I do not believe that God's changed his opinion on this simply because the world has become more evil. God said what he meant, meant what he said. That is how we are supposed to conduct ourselves as believers. Great first step to take out some trash. People will say to me, look, I don't want to hear the negative warnings. I don't want to hear the admonitions. I don't want any of that stuff. Just tell me nice, fluffy things. Tell me grace, 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 love, 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 love. Tell me mercy, mercy, mercy. Tell me good things. Can I tell you as parents, there's not one parent in here who tells their children only good things. If you love them. You see, if your kids are going a dangerous direction in life, you tell them that's the wrong way. Not because you hate them. Not because you want evil for them. Not because you wish them harm. Because you love them, you warn them. God warns us because he loves us. And he is right 100% of the time. And so what he says on any subject, when he speaks clearly, he's doing so because there is a clear view that Christians are supposed to have. And there are no subjects in all of the Bible about which God speaks more clearly than human sexuality. My brother Charlie is going to cover homosexuality and all of its facets on Thursday night. Please be here for that. But as we dig into this passage, God's love is what causes him to warn us. He's already, Paul has spoken to us. Look, it's not about asceticism. It's not about beating your flesh. It's not about regulation. It's not about legalism. It's about the work of the Spirit on our lives, which is supposed to transform us. And if you have the Spirit in you, then you are going to be transformed. You're going to be different than you used to be. That's why he says you used to walk in these things. They should be a sign to us that when they rear their ugly head, we're going the wrong way. And in that sense, they're two sides of the same coin. The positive, the negative go together. Now, for those of you that have had the experience of having some cardiac issues, maybe you're here today and you have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, you're on some statin drug, you've got, you know, something that's, that's going on, and your doctor doesn't, you know, come, you don't go into the cardiologist's office and he, he looks at you and he goes, you know, you're going to die, but just keep doing what you're doing. 
No, he tells you, look, lay off the bacon-wrapped maple bars. And when you're on PCH and you see Jay's Donut, keep driving. He gives you some instruction about what not to do, right? Eat more veggies, lay off the red meat, you know, you get some instruction. And then if it's really bad in your life, what does he do? He schedules you for a four-way bypass. And you submit yourself to having your chest cracked open from the top of your breastbone all the way down to about your belly bone. They take your heart out of your chest and they do a repair on it. They don't do that because they want you to die. They do that because they want you to live. The same is true for God's Word. God loves you because He loves you and He wants you in your best spiritual health. He says, look, The two sides of the coin are this. If you keep going the way you're going, and I don't warn you, you're going to die. So I'm not going to just tell you the loving things you want to hear. I'm going to tell you the things you don't want to hear. Because you need to change to make you a whole person, to work those things out in your life. Surgery is not pleasant. No more than, you know, if if you've ever seen a beautiful oriental garden you know you look at a japanese garden it's like man that is like such precision i walk around just in amazement of all the topiary and the bonsai and you look that stuff does not happen by itself it takes meticulous attention to detail to manicure that garden that way amen sit out there with little clippers and clipping like every little tiny branch Can I tell you, if you want a beautiful garden in your life, you're going to have to put some detail into it. And you're going to need to remove the rocks and get rid of the weeds, and you're going to need to clip off some limbs. There are some things that will have to go. In the mountains, we used to talk about, we have black oak trees up in the mountains, and those black oak trees often get what we call root rot. And that root rot will come up in the trunk of the tree, and it will kill limbs. And if you have a limb hanging over your house, and it becomes rotted, you better cut that limb off or it's going to fall off and crush your house. So as beautiful as that limb may look, and it may still produce leaves, it may look just fine, but on the inside, the heart of it is rotten and it needs to go. Make sure you don't have any areas in your life that are rotten on the inside that are going to kill you later. Paul begins to call sin, sin. Not only is this paragraph negative in that sense, he says these sins have no place in the life of a believer. They don't belong there. They're unfitting. And he says, look, God's going to judge us. If you don't want that, then the object really is fairly simple that you should be focused on. You have to take active, absolutely vibrant action to deal with these things. If you just sit around and have happy thoughts, you're likely going to persist in sin. You need to take steps to eliminate these things from your life. And it begins by talking to us about some things that are delicate, and we'll try and be delicate this morning, while still calling sin, sin. And the reason that's important is people in our culture in our day and time, try and justify why their sin is not sin. 
I cannot even tell, to, tell you the hundreds, if not thousands of people who have come to me in some way, shape, or form in my time in ministry and said, well, that's true for everybody else, but my situation's different. And they begin their story of justification, why they should be able to do what they're doing, even though Scripture says it is absolutely against God's will. And tops on the list of those things is sexual sin. Well, my husband or my wife doesn't do this or doesn't do that or isn't involved in this or won't allow me to, and you just name it. And there are many times when I just have to say, please stop. I do not need the details. I took biology. I understand how the parts work. They'll go, well, you know, it's just this or it's just that. Say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And they'll say, yeah. Then let me take you to his word. And here's what it says. Your husband, your wife, is the only person on this entire earth that you are to be sexually engaged with. The only. And if you don't have a husband or a wife, you don't get to be engaged in sexual activity until you have a husband or a wife. Well, that's not realistic. I don't care whether you think it's realistic. It's what his word says. And they'll start naming all kinds of worldly reasons why they're right and I'm wrong. And I say, look, you can have all your worldly reasons. I'll give you God's reason. And they get really mad. Super upset. Neck veins bulge out. God said what he meant, meant what he said. This is how we live our lives with our human sexuality here on this earth. The first things that need to go in the dumpster, and we're going to name them. Here they are. First one he uses is the word fornication. It's translated sometimes sexual immorality. It is a single Greek word, pornea. And the reason that word is important is because God is being very specific. He's using the most general term that is always defined by the nouns that surround it. So when pornea is used, whatever you follow it with, or whatever has preceded it as far as a noun is concerned. So if it's a man and a woman and they're married, that makes the sin that follows adultery. If it's two people who aren't married, it's fornication. If it's two men, it's homosexuality. Very important for you to know that. That means that any sexual endeavor outside of every relationship other than If you're not married, there is supposed to be zero sexual activity in your life. Zero. Everybody's looking like, really? (laughs) Why does God say that? Because that man or that woman that you're sexually involved with is someone else's husband is someone else's wife, not yours. And you are destroying the relationship that they may have later by doing those things. So he says, 
first fornication. Homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, every variety, all sex outside of a monogamous, heterosexual relationship, two people committed to one another in marriage, all sex outside of that is sin. Am I clear? Good. Because what follows adds to this. That's where we start. He moves on to a second word. Impurity or uncleanness. The Greek word there, the heart of it, is impurity. It's something that's internal that ultimately destroys the external. It's something that rots from the inside. And when you take things into your mind that are not ever going to be a part of your life, and you dwell on them and mull them over, it begins to rot. Sexual jokes, innuendo, proclivities of all kind, things that stimulate beyond what we'll get to in a moment, which is lust, any of those things, those are not harmless jokes at the office. Those comments that we now actually in the state of California actually do call them sexual abuse, that people are finally getting a clue, you know, maybe I shouldn't talk to somebody like that. Because what it does is it makes our whole relationship impure. And so God says, no uncleanness, impurity. Doesn't even have to be a sexual act. It can be sexual talk that causes that other person to think, well, maybe I'm interested in them. I told you, I warned you, and you're all still here. He moves on. He uses the term lust. It's one that we know. It's the Greek word pathos. It's a state of mind that is constantly engaged in impurity. You're thinking about things you shouldn't think about so much so that it takes control of your mind. And that's all you think about. Oh, sure, you squeeze in a few other things like some work, but in the midst of work, there's still lust going on in there. And what happens is when you begin to feed your mind and it becomes so filled with those things, what do you think is going to happen eventually? You're going to figure out a way to fulfill those thoughts because it goes from your head to your heart to your hands. That's the way sin works. You think about it, you dwell on it, eventually convinces your heart it's okay, and then your hands do it. Very simple way for you to remember the process that happens. And so he says, look, don't be engaged in lustful activities. It cultivates an attitude or an appetite. When you cultivate, if your children uh, come to you and say, you know, Dad, what's healthy eating like? Well, it's Mars bars and Snickers. And you just run down of all, the, you go down the candy aisle and say, yeah, I'll have some Skittles. And the M&Ms are good and the Reese's Pieces. And you convince them that the only thing that will ever satisfy them is all the candy and all the candy aisle. What do you think they're going to have an appetite for? Candy. Your brain works the same way in human sexuality. If you convince your mind that you are not happy in your marriage, and that there's some other way that you could be satisfied, and you dwell on it, then you tell yourself, well, you know, I mean, after all, I mean, oh, this isn't working so great. 
Before you know it, instead of just like telling your children about things like broccoli and asparagus and things that are good for them, you keep telling yourself about things that are bad for you, what do you think you're going to end up doing? The stuff you shouldn't be doing that will destroy you. So lust. He adds to that. Notice how these things compound one on top of another. Because it becomes a lifestyle. What is the lifestyle that we see in our country today? My goodness. It is staggering. There is no way. And I want to say this. I'm watching a, a payday candy bar commercial. And they somehow managed to make that sexual. I'm like, are you kidding me? Now, if it's there, what do you think they're trying to tell you in the television shows? Consequently, evil desire. Base intent. Something that's sinister. It's twisted. It may be even in the background. And so you're sitting there watching that program. I can't tell you how many Christians tell you, hey, did you see The Bachelor? Uh, no. You watch this? You, no. I watch Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> father knows best, and the courtship of Eddie's father. And I'm like the crusty channel, you know. No, seriously. You see what happens then is you feed that. Then all of a sudden it's like, and eh, you know, I really want to go this way all the time. Look at what we have going on in media today. It's everything. It is every... You cannot watch anything anymore without your mind being assaulted with something that has the potential, at least, to push you in a direction you should not go. Be careful. Be wise. Be discerning. He ends with idolatry and greed. Now, why is that attached to these things? Because if you dwell on something long enough, you will eventually become greedy for it. And if you're greedy enough for it, it will become an idol or a replacement for God. Can I tell you, in our country, sex in many people's lives has replaced God. It's become God to them. It's all they think about. That's the only thing they're looking for. That's the only thing they talk about. And yet they're not satisfied. Why? Because God told us how to make sex great. He said, find one man or one woman, be married to them, and stay married to them for the rest of your life. And then that sexual relationship, which he made, and by the way, he made it really good, And in doing so, he told us this is how to keep it really good. Keep it in marriage. Any other place, it's destructive. And it's only destructive. No matter how committed you think you are to that relationship. Apart from what God said about it, it becomes something that can destroy you and does. Why do you think 
More than half of the people in this country are no longer married at all. Why do you think that over half of all children are, are born into an unmarried family? Why do you think that people stay married shorter periods of time than ever in the history of our country? Reason? Sexual sin. Number one reason for divorce? Sexual sin. Number one complaint that myself and all the other pastors get? Sexual issues. Followed very close on the heels by money. You see, God was being very specific. He said, because of these things, the wrath of God. People think about the wrath of God only in its future sense, which is true. The wrath of God is coming on all unbelievers, and ultimately, people will be sentenced by their own admission, I don't love you, God, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, and so I'm going to take what's behind door number two. Because there's only two doors, there's not three, there's two. Heaven, hell. In a future sense, that's true. But can I tell you, the wrath of God's also coming on people right now. It's in broken families. It's in destroyed finances. It's in children that are absolutely a mess. It is in our cities. It is in the country. It's in every state. It's in every part of this nation. It really is in the world. But probably more than anywhere else in the world, here. We're suffering the wrath of God in STDs, in AIDS. We're suffering the wrath of God. God saying, look, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do to convince you you're going the wrong way. And he has. He's made it clear. This is not good. We are vaccinating 12-year-old girls against HPV. 12-year-olds. And they don't need your consent. This is nuts. And it's time we as the church stood up and said, not anymore. We're stopping right here. And we're going to repent. And we're going to do what God tells us to do. You see, because you can't claim the grace of God and then go on sinning. Scripture's clear on that. Now, however imperfectly you implement that, praise God for grace and mercy. Praise the Lord, he's not looking for perfection, but he is looking for direction. Amen? He's not looking for perfection, he's looking for direction. In other words, please go the right way. And if you stumble a little bit along the way, there's grace for those things. But we don't have the option, family of God, to look God in the eyes and say, Jesus, you died for me, but I'm going to live my life as I please. Especially in this area. Because he's the one that made the human family. In the beginning, he made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and a woman leave her home. That's a man and a woman. And the two shall be joined together as one flesh. And Jesus added to it, and he said, And that which God has joined together, let no one separate. That's God's take on human sexuality. The world says, well, we can do it some other way. 
That's why he throws in covetousness. It's the want for things that you're not supposed to have. Stuff that's not yours. How many people covet someone else's spouse? You ever wondered how much divorce occurs from covetousness? They covet someone else's, maybe their physical appearance. Say, well, if I just look like that. My husband doesn't appreciate me. My wife doesn't appreciate me. Brothers and sisters, do not be fooled. God created the human sexual relationship. He made it wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. But then he said to keep it wonderful, keep it here. Keep it in the midst of a Christ-honoring, God-loving, God-fearing relationship. Now, I recognize that not everyone is God-fearing and God-loving. And I also recognize that not everyone is saved. But that is not important to us. What's important to us is we are God-fearing and we are saved by grace and through faith. And so this is how we are supposed to live. And if we'll do that, then we have the opportunity to affect cultural change. Change that's meaningful. Because people need to hear this message from you. And you need to stop telling your children that are engaged sexually with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, well, I did it when I was your age. Would you please stop doing that? Because you're destroying their lives. And yes, I'm on a box. But I'm on a box for a reason. Because I've buried your children. When they figure out it doesn't work, and now they've got AIDS when they're 12 years old. I've had to go comfort a dad whose daughter put a bullet in her head because her boyfriend left her. Why am I saying this? Because this out of whack does those kind of things. The devil gets in and begins to work in their life, and before you know it, they have no value except who they can sleep with. Don't let your daughters believe that ever. And you keep your sons holy and pure, and you treat those women as the wonderful brides they will one day be. God has a plan, and He wants us to be the examples. Let's take out the trash. Amen? Would you stand with me? I apologize, but I mean with great zeal what I just said. I've watched with just horror the destruction that's occurred in people's lives. And I realize fully that there may be people in here right now that have been struggling. And so I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to do something. And please, it's important because people need to know. People need to know that they're safe. And so I'm going to ask you, all of you, 100% of you, to bow your heads, close your eyes. Please keep them closed. And I'm just simply going to ask if you would like me to pray for you because you're struggling with some kind of sexual sin. And every eye closed, every head bowed. 
to just simply slip your hand up in the air. And I want to pray for you that the Lord would give you victory in that area of life. Hands going up all over the sanctuary. Just raise your hand. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Probably not a person in here who hasn't struggled at some point in life. I, I see those hands. Again, I'm just going to pray for you. You're not going anywhere. We're not going to have you do anything. But I do want to pray for you because you're struggling. And you want to be free. You want to get from under that weight. I see those hands. All, they're all over the sanctuary. Those that have raised their hands, you can put your hands down. And let's pray together. Father, Heavenly Father, oh, how you love us. And Lord, for all these that have raised their hands, Lord, admitting to you, not to me, not to other people, admitting to you that there is an area of struggle. And Father, I pray if there's others that didn't raise their hands, that right now, by your Spirit, you would just convince them that your way is the best way. And so, Lord, for these that have raised their hands, would you deliver them from the bondage of the enemy? Would you give them that power that James 4 speaks about If we will resist the devil, he will flee. Would you give them great power of resistance? Lord, would your Holy Spirit fall afresh and new upon them? Lord, in great power, Lord, would you touch them? God, would you heal the wounds and and bind them, Lord? Would they know your care and your love and your goodness? God, you do love us, and you love us even at times when we fail you. And so, God, would you take these wonderful people who have bravely said, I'm struggling, and would you heal their lives? Set them free from the bondage. Lord, break the chains. Cause them to know your goodness. Lord, would you love them? Would you send them a token in their heart and their mind of your great love and your amazing grace? Encourage them. Would you cause others to come alongside in their lives unknowingly to encourage and strengthen them? And so, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, would we be doers of the word and not hearers only. We don't want to be self-deceived. We thank you that you've written the book. And all of it testifies of you. And so you know what you want us to be. You know what it is. Like to be human, you, Jesus, came as a man. And so grant, Lord, to us the opportunity to speak forth your truth in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.